0: Welcome uh, to the Elam Viewbrush Sunday talk. Um, it's going to be uh, great. This morning it's a Mission Sunday so um, around the nation Elam churches are publicising missions. It's um, the anniversary of a very sad moment uh, in sort of Elam's history that we're going to be uh, looking at. Um, so if I can publicize the uh, description of this video uh, there is a link uh, both to Elim Missions and uh, there's a link to um, the uh, story behind uh, the massacre in the Vumba Mountains um, and also a link to give um, we uh, Elim Bishop have tried to limit how much we're asking uh, of you and sort of donations and stuff but on the uh, on enum missions sunday uh we're promoting sort of giving um giving to the the missions you can give um i checked it out yes the other day um and you can even give directly to um gordon and sybil mckillop um who are doing that sort of uh uh, great work in zambia you can even give to uh ian and katie but special one-off gift or regular giving um as a church we give regularly but uh, you, you can give a, a one-off gift or, or set up something independently yourself and know that would be a wildly appreciated or you can have a look at the drop down list and all the other uh, ELIM missions that are out there that, that we support um, so uh, check that out on uh, ELIM mission Sunday um, and it's now ten thirty. so I'm going to uh, uh, crack on there may be some people joining us later the uh, For whatever reason, the link that I sent out, I think, actually didn't end up uh, on the internet. So um, if you go through Elon Bubrush's YouTube page, you'll find us. If you've just followed that link I sent out uh, in the email and the text, you will be frustrated. So apologies uh, for cocking that up. Uh, Hopefully you can forgive me and hopefully we can crack on. So, let's uh, open in prayer uh, and then do some talking. Heavenly Father, we just still are hearts and minds. Lord God, we want to hear from you. We want to receive from you. Lord God, I pray that you would Open our ears, open our hearts to receive your words, your words of life this morning, and that we would be changed, that we would be made more like our saviour. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Excellent. We enter the world that was just as I imagined Afghanistan to be. Brown with deserted hills, twisting gullies, rocky cracks. Occasionally we swept through lush green valleys with gentle streams. I saw more mud-brick villages. There was a collapsed wire bridge across one of the rivers with the wire still hanging in the water. Had it collapsed from old age, I wondered, or had it been destroyed in one of the wars? In the afternoon we climbed a series of gorges. The road veered through crumbling tunnels and sheer cliffs fell away from the roadside, but this did not stop us overtaking other vehicles, already to abreast, on blind hairpin bends going uphill. As we reached a small mountain stream, I glanced glimpsed two men perched on slabs of rock in the middle of the water, bowing meccawards. The people on the bus ignored me. As we served from side to side, the woman behind me started throwing up underneath her burqa. I could hear that she had a bag to it into, but it was obviously unthinkable for her to expose her face for fresh air. Everyone else on the bus pretended not to notice. A few minutes later, she had recovered and I heard her chatting noisily into her mobile phone. As I looked out at the beautiful gorges and rugged mountains, I started to rue the fact that I was in this minibus. It all looked so peaceful. This would have been fine for cycling, I thought to myself. But then I reminded myself that whether a place feels safe or feels dangerous does not really mean anything. Danger was not dependent on my perception of it. Indeed, I had recently been reading that this part of Afghanistan had a history strewn with the corpses of those outsiders who down the centuries had underestimated the danger. The most chilling recent examples occurred during the NATO invasion six years beforehand in November 2001. A car full of international journalists eager to get a scoop by being the first to drive to Kabul had been ambushed on this very road. They were pulled from their car and forced to march up into a hillside, their Afghan driver, who witnessed the event, described afterwards how they took the journalists, and when the journalists turned to look at them, the gunmen shot. The four bodies—an Italian, a Spaniard, an Afghan, and an Australian—were dragged back to the verge and left for others to see. The story comes from the book of a Christian adventurer who um, is passing through Afghanistan and and, and as he's made uh, uh, to take a minibus rather than cycle because of the danger, he reflects on this tragic story, this story that's been told again and again. And this account of this lawless ambush, of this brutal assassination would surely put off the uh, off most folks travelling or touching this region with a barge pole it was obviously somewhere that you would stay clear of and not go near however the final flourish that leaving of the bodies unburied designed as a warner to passers by is a really grotesque flourish it is something that just makes the whole account even Uh, Are more horrific. You see, a violent execution um, that abandons all elements of human dignity and ends without a decent burial seems to be a universal language of fear and terror and outrage. It's something that everyone can listen to and be struck to the heart. This Very same reasoning was used by the guerrilla soldiers, who on the 23rd of June 1978 uh, massacred 13 Elam missionaries in the Vumba mountains in northern Zimbabwe. They took them by surprise and killed them and left their bodies today the around the country elim churches are remembering this anniversary we're not just mourning the loss of those people we are not just remarking at the horror of some people's response to the gospel but we are using it to remember all missionaries and wonder at their sacrifice and long for their success but this Haunting and disturbing fate that uh, the adventurer Rob will uh, remembers, that we remember today as a part of the Elam movement. It is a fate that no one wants. You know, we talk about sacrifice for Jesus, but that is, seems to me, and us, the ultimate sacrifice. And it is not a payment that we would like to pay, and it is not a payment uh, that those that we love, want to pay either this is not an ambition I have for my children in many ways and as we think on this as we think on the horror of such an execution and such a a display of the result it seems quite apt to think of Jesus too because as he looked towards his end he knew that he would be abandoned he would be tortured and he would be hung on a cross as a warning for all. If you are um, up to date with your uh, reading through the Gospels in 90 days, you know uh, only in the last couple of days we've read of how the passers-by went past the cross and hurled insults at Jesus. And this is very much the same thing. It's a warning, these unburied bodies. And so I want you to listen um, as we think of death, as we think of looking at the prospect of this. Um, I want us to read for a moment uh, Jesus's own contemplation um, of his end that's coming. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 26. If you haven't got a Bible, uh, you need to go and get one. Um, It'll be really helpful. Uh, Make sure your notebook and everything else is ready. So Matthew, chapter 26, verse 36. It says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and I pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zembede along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death, stay here and keep watch with me. I hope you can hear the anguish in this guy's voice. Someone's messaging me. Oh, I'm worried about the link I sent out. Um, my soul, uh, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping you imagine his reaction to that? Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back he again found them sleeping because their eyes were so heavy so he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time saying the very same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them are you still sleeping and resting? Look the hour is near and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Sometimes it's really easy to reduce Jesus to some sort of superhero. We uh, project onto Jesus what we think he's like. Uh, I'm reminded of the 1960s cartoon that I used to love as a kid called Batfink. and There would be a moment where all the baddies would fire their guns at him and then he would bring over his... Uh, um, sort of uh, wings and he would go uh, your bullets cannot harm me my wings are like a shield of steel and we project onto Jesus that all these things that were hurled at him that he could bear them we focus on his divinity we imagine him going round Nazareth with a puffed out chest never consumed with fear or worry or doubt or confusion or ignorance or defeat you know he was always on the up and up I mean, did he not escape the trap set for him? Did he not always have an answer for his critics? Did he not heal many people? And did not even the wind and the waves obey him? But that is not the full story. In this garden, apparently one of Jesus' preferred safe spaces, we find in his prayers evidence of many human traits many human traits that we struggle with, that we suffer with, that we wonder at. Jesus sees more clearly in Gethsemane the reality of his death. And he bleakly, forlornly articulates a longing to escape it, doesn't he? Doesn't he say, remove this cup from me if you can, but not my will but yours there is this desperation in his voice wherever we think about our individual beauty whether we think um, that Vogue has missed a trick by not putting us on the cover each and every week or whether uh, we uh, um, wonder how on earth our other halves could love us at all each and every one of us has some sort of affection for our body Each and every one of us has some sort of um, appreciation of it. We eat and we drink. We uh, nourish these bodies. We wash and care for them. You know, uh, uh, before the uh, YouTube live thing, I I go up for a shower and and make myself sort of clean and, and, and presentable. And so we shave and we apply lotions. Some of us apply more lotions than others. We seek help when it is broken and we hate unseemly blemishes. We get irritable when people publish photos that we think show us in a bad light. We may not think we are all beautiful, but we all have an appreciation for our our bodies. Just like each one of us, Jesus had embraced his physical form. He had grown accustomed to it. He fed and watered his body in the same way we do. He had nurtured and cared it for 33 years up to this point. The prospect and thought of seeing it hideously mutated and mutilated, of enduring unimaginable pain, Of having it displayed as an advert against any resistance to the religious elite must have been a pretty awful prospect. A pretty hard thing to process. He's aching not to be murdered. His aching not to be left out as a warning to others is something that we can all understand. It is not something foreign to us, you know. We can all say, yeah, I I agree with that. I can see how he would struggle with that. I can see how Jesus would be less than quick to embrace that future. The humanity of Jesus in the moment, the humanity of Jesus in this moment, perhaps more than any other incident recorded in all four Gospels, Speaks loudly of this mysterious union of God and man in one person that we believe Jesus to be. Having established the horror of such a way to go, of being executed unfairly and paraded as a warning, it seems now that we can enter into are uh, reading for today. So turn to Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. It says this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. Another short, beautiful passage. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the ho- home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with me, but you will not always have me. When she poured the perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Our troubled man is reclining at the table. The scene and the words used suggest. A meal has been enjoyed. Perhaps Jesus is reclining after uh, being well catered for. Perhaps he is there sitting, working at his teeth with a toothpick. But he is there, but he is not there, if you see what I mean. He is there in body, you can feel and touch him. But his spirit was on the things to come, on the prospect of death on the prospect of crucifixion, on the prospect of being betrayed, on the prospect of torture, on the prospect of dying for the sins of the world. And he sits, he sits in the home of Simon the leper. I have had many nicknames over uh, the years, Uh, but of all the nicknames um, each of us have had and been called over the years I think and you should be thankful that you haven't had this grim one this poor Simon he wouldn't have been a leper otherwise uh, 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 he wouldn't have been able to have all this um, uh, to sort of the house and uh, household uh, but it seems that he was associated with leprosy somehow and somehow he had this nickname of Simon the leper and it had stuck into his adult years unannounced An unbidden unasked for an unnamed woman an unnamed lady intrudes on jesus's private thoughts of crucifixion in her hand she has a vessel it is made of a soft lightly colored rock called alabaster it was probably suitably decorated To hint at the contents within it is easy uh, 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 to carve into. And so it was probably an ornate thing to hold. Inside this container, inside this alabaster jar, there is a rich and fragrant perfume. It enchanted all those that imbibed the odour. The Old Testament, funnily enough, Um, is full of references to fine-smelling oils. It seems the work of a gifted perfumer was celebrated um, as early as Israel's exodus from Egypt. Uh, Fine-smelling oils are involved in the anointing of kings and priests. Wherever the origins, this woman has a very expensive item in her hands. And without warning... She pours that fine, fine, expensive, delicate fragrance out on the preoccupied Jesus. It brings him to himself, as you can imagine, any uh, uh, guy would have been kind of woken up by that event. And he connects this woman, this perfume, this unanswered for anointing, and he connects it with the inner dialogue. The moment, this moment, is all about his death. Jesus will become even more profoundly disturbed by the prospect of his execution. Gethsemane is after this. But in this moment, he welcomes a reassurance. His dying body will soon be naked. It will soon be exposed. It will soon be ridiculed. But this woman, in this moment, brings dignity and devotion in anticipation of something that will have neither. She does now what will not happen later. And the disciples, and they react angrily to the idea that Jesus would die as a sacrifice. You know, Peter says, over my dead body. But this woman looks at Jesus' mortality. And he, she looks it in the face. And she blesses the body that will be shamefully exposed. She blesses this frail frame that will be crowned with thorns and mocked. In this scene, the disciples mention a legitimate concern. You know, it is perfectly right to champion Uh, The poor and the disenfranchised. But. Before the imminence of Christ. Before the imminence of Christ sat at this table. Reflecting on his death. The poor pale into significance. Jesus right here is the most important thing. Friends let us not miss the point of this drama. Which is Jesus. Jesus. Let us not miss the focus of our own lives, which should be Jesus. It is all about Jesus. The poor matter. All sorts of other considerations matter. But Jesus is the most important thing. Yes, you and I have to consider a thousand different things every day. But every day we are invited also to be primarily... And principally gripped by Jesus Christ. In this act of self-forgetfulness. We are filled up and equipped to worry well about everything else. Let me quote the Prince of Preachers. Charles Spurgeon. He is talking to his students in the bit I'm about to read out. He is talking to them about the importance of them in being uh, refuelled in reignited in, in being equipped to go out and talk the good news um, i really love this passage and i've read it a few times since i've discovered it and uh, hopefully you may be encouraged by it too it says this above all feed the flame with intimate fellowship with christ no man was ever cold in heart who lived with jesus on such terms as john and mary did of old for he makes men's hurts burn within them i have never met with a half-hearted preacher who was much in communion with the lord jesus The zeal of God's house ate up our Lord and when we come into contact with him, it begins to consume us also. And we feel that we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard in his company, nor can we help speaking of them with a fervour that comes out of actual acquaintance with them. Those of us, and I really like this bit, and and perhaps uh, don't just hear it as words to a preacher, but anyone who has loved Jesus for any amount of time. Those who are us who have been preaching for these 5 and 20 years sometimes feel that the same work, the same subject and the same people and the same pulpit are altogether apt to beget a feeling of monotony and the monotony may soon lead to weariness. And if you've ever felt that as a Christian. But then we call to mind another sameness which becomes our complete deliverance. There is... The same Saviour. Which becomes our complete deliverance. There is the same Saviour. And we may go to him in the same way as we did at the first. Since he is Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. In his presence we drink in the new wine and renew our youth. He is the fountain forever flowing with the cool, refreshing water of life. And in fellowship with him, we find our souls quickened into perpetual energy. Beneath his smile, our long-accustomed work is always delightful. And where's a brighter charm than novelty could have conferred? I love that quote. So be close to Jesus. Have him as the principle in your life. Make him the middle. Finally, as we uh, come to my last point, I want to draw our attention to another fascinating dimension of this story. In Matthew chapter 19, Um, And I love reading through the Gospels because it means that I can keep referring to bits before and uh, you should all be familiar with what's going on because we've only read these chapters uh, in the last week. Um, In Matthew chapter 19, we are treated with this confrontation of Jesus with a rich young man, a rich young ruler. And we are clearly educated that this guy's kind of filled out all the laws and then Jesus sort of sees that he has this... Um, appreciation of his wealth and Jesus says you know what sell everything and but he doesn't say just it, he says give it to the poor and Jesus raises up the importance of people that are destitute that don't have two coins to rub together and Jesus mentions the problematic nature of money again and again in his teachings of how it can be a barrier to us uh, finding God and uh, uh we find this incredible illustration of a, a camel going through the eye of the needle and, and it's easier for that to happen than a rich man to enter the garden. And so we find sort of wealth and too much of it can can be a barrier in our relationship with God and the and um it is an obstacle the poor don't have and we need to sort of bless them and look out for them. And And these, these disciples Jesus had probably felt they had a handle on money now. You know what they knew what to say when money comes up. Jesus had visited and revisited the subject of giving to the poor again and again. And these disciples knew that the poor were worthy of attention. So when this woman uses her riches not to bless the poor uh, but to unwisely do dump this expensive stuff so it becomes worthless the disciples jump on her like a wake of judgmental vultures apparently awake is the collective term for vultures when they're feeding and these these disciples like picking over her bones going you should have given it to the poor see how we are right And you are wrong. And they look forward to the woman being exposed as ignorant. You woman. You've used your wealth badly. You know my disciples are the ones that know the truth. And they look to be raised by their rabbi. As righteous. And it seems to be a no brainer comment for these guys to make. But Jesus. Who must be tired of correcting spiritual confusion so frequently. He corrects his boys again. The poor yes, are uh, worthy of attention. They are worthy of our time. They are worthy of help. But Jesus and his imminent death is uniquely important. And it changes everything. It's not that the poor are less important, but it is this moment in time is unique. There has never been anything like it before or afterwards in human history. Instead of being foolish and misguided or over the top, this woman's anointing of Jesus is said by the Messiah himself to be kalos, which can be translated as being beautiful or excellent or precious. This immersion of Jesus' head in such a priceless substance is signified by Jesus as beautiful and something that we'd be told the world over and indeed Jesus uh, is right in this because we are speaking uh, about it in uh, Buebush in Crawley sort of 2,000 years later. Friends today I invite us all not to just become preoccupied with Jesus Not to just have him as the centre, but allow that preoccupation, that devotion, that honour to cause us to do beautiful things for him. Not just pragmatic things, not just useful things, but beautiful things for him. When Jesus was physically imminent... It was right to worship him directly. I love uh, at the end of Matthew we find guys worshipping the resurrected Jesus a few times. Um, And that must really upset the JWs as Jesus is obviously described as God incarnate. And today we may think that our entire obligation to Jesus It's done by enjoying church songs. You know they are good. It is good to sing at home and it is good to come together in song. It is good to pray at home and pray at church. It is good to read the Bible wherever we can. And we may think that is the sum total of our devotion to Jesus. But today there is a call to do something beautiful for him. And I'm not talking about those acts of devotion. I'm not even talking about building church buildings or works of art, composing songs or other conspicuous projects. I'm talking about self-forgetful acts of honour, where there is no fanfare, where we are never elevated, we are never praised, but they have Jesus at their core. There's a parable of the sheep and the goats Um, Only in the chapter previously and uh, hopefully you are familiar with that having gone through this. And there is this uh, uh, clear demonstration that our beautiful acts of worship to Jesus can be targeted at the poor and the marginalised and they will elevate Jesus. When we uh, visit um, people in prison, when we give cups of water to the thirsty, when we feed the hungry, when we shelter the homeless, we are directing worship at Jesus. For some of us, this call is simply for us uh, to serve those in our neighbourhood, to serve those in our street, to serve those in our friend, our circle of friends, to serve those that we meet on the school gates and who we work with. For others, we look to be a little more uh, systematic, um, a little bit more ambitious. And so we join with tra- charities like CAP and Easter team um, and we join them to reach and serve a wider audience to bless a larger group of poor people most sacrificially. It takes a profound calling for us to reach across the nations and actually live with the poor and the diseased, to live with the needy and the forgotten in lands that we don't call our own in lands we haven't grown up in, in lands where languages are um, different to ones and cultures and customs are strange and new. In memorial of the Vumba massacre, Elam churches across the UK right now are encouraging donations to those that are beautifully serving Jesus in different lands who are worshipping him in this very way. And I just encourage you to check out the uh, description of this YouTube video and follow the links. Allow your heart to be melted by the accounts recorded and uh, uh, give generously to uh, these missionaries that have given up everything to do something beautiful for Jesus. In August 1910, Little Angezi was born in Skopje. I've been to Skopje. A few of us who have uh, helped out with missions in Macedonia have been uh, to what is now the capital uh, city of uh, northern uh, Macedonia. And uh, the city where uh, Katie and Ian and Josiah uh, and um, their daughter live um, right now That's where Anjeezi was born, in 1910. And uh, she would grow up into a passionate believer who would look to worship God by unseen acts towards the poor and the needy. She would become world famous eventually, but that was not because she sought fame, but because others wondered at her sacrifice. And I want to finish off today by reading a brief part of an interview by a journalist, a, uh, a British journalist uh, who converted to Christianity and then encountered Mother Teresa and, and just promoted her because he wondered at her example and at her beautiful things that she did. It says this, Mother Teresa speaking. Our works are only an expression of our love for Christ. Our hearts need to be full of love for him. And since we have to express that love in action, naturally then, the poorest of the poor are the means of expressing our love for God. And we find this connection, don't we? A devotion brings service. I understand, says the interviewer, Um, And even in this short visit, I've sensed it as I've never have before. These lepers and these little children that you get off the street, they're not just destitute people to be pitied. They're marvellous people. Anyone who is well can pity a man who is sick. Anyone who has enough can pity someone who hasn't. But I think what you do is to make one see that these people are not just to be pitied. They are marvellous people. How do you do this? Mother Teresa replied, that's just what a Hindu gentleman said, that they and we are doing social work and the difference between them and us is that they were doing it for something and we were doing it to somebody. This is where the respect and the love and the devotion come in, that we give it and we do it to God, to Christ. And that's why we try to do it as beautifully as possible. And the interviewer replies, beautiful is almost your favourite word, isn't it? You were saying even when we asked you to do this programme, and I know you were very reluctant to do it. Well, let's do something beautiful for God. But what I want to say is, how do you, how do we, how can you make other people see this? That it's not just pity, it's not just to meet physical, need, physical needs, material needs which are desperate and should be met, but that there's something more that gives it a reality. Mother Teresa, in our work we have many people whom we call co-workers and I want to give their hands to serve the people and their hearts to love the people but unless they come in very close contact with them it is very difficult for them to know who the poor are and that is why here in calcutta especially we have many non-christians and christians working together at the home of the dying and other places we have groups who are preparing the bandages and medicine for the lepers for an example, an Australian came some time ago and he said that he wanted to give a big donation. But after giving the donation, he said, that is something outside of me, but I want to give something of me. And now he comes regularly to the home of the die and he shaves the people and he talks to them. He could have spent that time on himself, not just his money. He wanted to give something of himself and he gives it. In other words, this other part is really, in a way, a greater gift. Mother Teresa is the harder part. Friends, on Mission Sunday, on this Sunday when we contemplate this beautiful act, I invite every single one of us to make Jesus the centre. Not just do it by filling our minds with Christian media, but to actually allow that to act for our love of Jesus to overflow into action. Whether it's to give, whether it's to serve, whether it's to donate, whether it's to lay down our lives and let's do something beautiful for him. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this lady who demonstrated her appreciation of Jesus and an anticipation of his death by the uh, pouring out of this expensive perfume. Oh God, I pray that we would be good at copying this lady. Jesus, I pray that you'd be the centre of our lives, that you'd be the most important thing, more important than our jobs, more important than our families, more important than our own lives, and that that would be apparent in the way we talk, in the way we act, and the way we prioritise our lives. Lord God, we pray for the missionaries um, across the world who serve you in this remarkable fashion. God, we pray that you bless them. Give them their material needs. Lord God, I pray that you would give them success in the mission field. We remember Gordon and Sybil. Lord God, we remember Ian and Katie. And we remember uh, the uh, people helping with the mission. Um, orphanage, the mango tree, Ask guys. Heavenly Father, we lift them up and ask for you to bless them. And Lord God, we ask you to challenge each of us about how we are acting out our devotion to you. Lord God, I pray the world would hear of you through what we do with our hands and our feet. Lord God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.